Here we go. It's La Gospel on this Rumination Tuesday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me is Pastor Mark Smith. And we're going to be examining the hymn, Come Holy Ghost, Creator Lord. First three verses. This is an ancient Latin hymn. And next to the Te Deum, it is sung more times than any other hymn. Come Holy Ghost, Creator Lord. In fact, Martin Luther felt it so strongly that he made a seven stanza translation of this. He tightened the logical sequence, and by 1549, an English translation was included in the Book of Common Prayer, making it one of the few hymns legally sanctioned in the Church of England, long before the 19th century interest in hymns. In fact, there are 33 English translations before 1892. And we're going to be taking a look at this hymn with Pastor Mark Smith. Hello, Pastor Smith. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? When was that? This past weekend, Memorial Day. Oh, it was? I was wondering why we were off yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. So this is an interesting hymn. When I first saw it, this is for Trinity Sunday. Yeah, Why right. Why are we talking about come Holy Ghost, Creator blessed on Trinity Sunday? That sounds like Pentecost. Well, it is It is a Pentecostal. It's, it's a, a, a hymn for Pentecost, but it leads, if you look, if you look at the last two stanzas, it leads us into that. Uh, expression of the Holy Trinity. Exactly. 
When you preached on the Holy Trinity, what was your main focus? On the Father, Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. I usually speak uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, on on Trinity Sunday, yes. Of course, we... Uh, another tradition of uh, Trinity Sunday is we we use the Athanasian Creed. Very good. Yeah. Very good. That was one of the worst sermons I ever did. What's that? For two weeks, I took the Athanasian Creed and gave a Bible verse for every phrase. Wow. Yeah, that that'd that make a good Bible sermon? study. It'd make a good Bible a, study. Why was that a worse sermon? Um, why because was that a bad sermon? it wasn't a sermon. Uh-huh. You just said that was a Bible study. Yeah. And this it is was... very important to understand. Who does Jesus give a lot of credit to? The Holy Spirit. No. God the Father. Yes. And who does the Holy Spirit give a lot of credit to? Uh, Jesus. Yes, well said. As Jesus says, uh, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why going through the Athanasian Creed, giving the background, which is very important, because that helps us to understand what they were saying. But it isn't until near the end of the Athanasian Creed that you really get into the importance of Jesus Christ. Up up to that point, Jesus has the same attributes as God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. And you can explain the same attributes, but... uh, For example, last week, my sermon was about the nuns. Who are the nuns? Oh, uh, the nuns are those that uh, don't go to church at all, don't have any church affiliation, don't go to church at all. Excellent. You ask them what denomination you are, and they say nuns. But the Lutheran Witness, which is the official publication of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod had an excellent article by the editor of the Lutheran Witness on how the nuns came about. And they said a number of things that were very interesting as to how we reach out to nuns. And one of the points they made, it's not true that those who say they have none as a religion don't believe there's a God. It's just that their God is a temporal God, not a spiritual God. It's not God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not the true God. Exactly. Now, when you speak of nuns, when you speak of the nuns, Tom, you're obviously not speaking of the the sisterhood uh, that we think of in the Roman Catholic Church. N-O-N-E-S. Okay, N-O-N-E-S. And I don't remember that term used a whole lot until just recent recent years well said exactly it's a grow the the fastest growing group in religion right now mm-hmm. if you want to call it that 
and that's the nuns. It's gone from like 7% to almost 18% of young people consider themselves as nuns. And yet they consider themselves spiritual, some of them. Very good. You will never guess what happened last week. We had the worship service at the one congregation, and afterwards I was doing a Bible study, and I noticed about halfway through the Bible study, an individual walked in, stood at the back of the congregation behind the Bible study people, and was listening. Well, some people started talking to him after the Bible study, and I could not believe it, but he was a nun. He lived one block away from the church for seven years and had never attended a church service. No kidding. And Boy. he says, I need to find answers to my questions. And so immediately, since we didn't have a second service that Sunday with the university because they're on vacation, I took him into another room and talked to him for 45 minutes about the difference between uh, Christianity and every other religion in the world. He had heard none of this stuff on law and gospel, and he's starting an adult instruction class this coming Sunday. No kidding. Good for him. And we're trying to get his wife in also, who also is a nun. We're going to find out what's going to happen there. But this... Sunday is really important to focus not so much on the attributes of the Trinity, but the work of the entire Trinity in focusing on Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross. I, I began questioning him when we met privately. You know what my question was? What's that? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And he said, yeah, I think I will because I'm a pretty good person. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he talked like that for about five minutes. And at the end of it, I said, I just want to share with you that what you just said the last five minutes is total false doctrine. Uh -huh. And boy, did we have a great conversation. He was all excited. How old? So, was this a young man or was this a, yes, a middle yeah, age? Yes, he was in his 20s. Uh-huh. Well, good. Married, no children. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're also confirming another individual, and we just ended up confirming a university student who was our organist. And then before that, there was some confirmations we had done. So I tell you, this is the work of the pastor to get people coming into the church through adult confirmation, because there you really speak about Jesus Christ. It sounds like the Holy Spirit is really working through you there, Tom. Well, that's a really important point to make. The pastor converts nobody. It's the words that he uses. And if they are not the words of Jesus, then it's not a sermon. It's a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And we need to realize that. So let's start with Come Holy Ghost. If you would read the first stanza and 
We'll talk about it. Okay. Come Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and make our hearts your place of rest. Come with your grace and heavenly aid and fill the hearts which you have made. That's a really important verse. Whose hearts are being filled? Our hearts. But what heart? Hearts which which uh, the Holy Spirit had a part in, in making. He's He was there at creation along with God, with Jesus and God the Father. But that's not the heart that's talked about here. Okay. Uh, clarify that for me, Tom. All I have to do is tell you one Bible verse by David. And remember, create, create in me. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's that's conversion. Okay. Remember last week when we talked about Pentecost, it's the Holy Spirit that creates that new heart. Right. So we have two hearts. We have an old man heart and a new man heart. And this is the one that we're asking the Holy Ghost to create within us and fill the hearts which you have made. So he did make us at creation, but now he fills our hearts with faith in Jesus Christ. That's yes, we're the told the church. Yeah, we're told that uh, he actually makes our bodies his temple. When we're baptized as little infants, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, enters our bodies and makes our bodies his temple. Yes. Uh, read stanza two then. Okay. To you, the counselor, we cry. To you, the gift of God most high, the fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. Now, why is the word anointing important? How's that used in the Old Testament? Well, uh, of course, they used to anoint kings, yes. like uh, da David was anointed king by uh, Samuel. Uh, the, the anointing, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is his. Uh, his the Holy Spirit anointed those uh, followers of Jesus on Pentecost. Uh, the the Holy Spirit was poured out in a very special way upon the uh, the followers of Jesus to the point where they were able to, to preach the gospel in many different languages. Now, you made a point that that's really talking about baptism, and that was excellent because what does this verse say? The fount of life, the fire of love. What does that remind right. you of? The fount of life reminds us of that, uh, let's see, we were talking about it last week. Jesus said, come to me all who are thirsty. Uh, and uh, he talks about that, uh, the living water. Uh, he said the same thing to the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, also the fire, the fire of life, or the fire of love, rather. Um, the, the soul's anointing from above, the fire of love. We're reminded of those of the tongues like flame that were poured out upon uh, the disciples on that first Pentecost Sunday. And 
3,000 people were baptized with the font of life. That's right. Water. Yes. All right, stanza three. In you, with graces sevenfold, we God's almighty hand behold, while you with tongues of fire proclaim to all the world his holy name. What does it mean, sevenfold graces? Now, this is, this is I, I spent some time on this prior to our program. Um, you know, I looked at, I'm a little confused by it, because I, I went to 1 Corinthians 12, and I counted not just seven, but more like nine uh, gifts. Uh, the, the utterance of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, discerning the spirits, as we say. Various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. What is that? Nine, nine or ten? Uh, my only thing, uh, maybe, maybe we should combine some of those under one uh, subtitle. And then there's also the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five twenty-two, yes. Yes. where it says, "Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control." More than, more than seven. And then there's also the the 13th chapter of uh of 1 Corinthians that talks about another gift uh the gift of love. The so I'm a little con- seven, I'm a little confused by the numbering of them. Because in Revelation remember we talked about this the ascension of Jesus. Yeah. It talks about the sevenfold spirit. Yeah, right, right. That's, that, that's I, I, where I we kinda, get the word seven. Seven. Even and, though, and you yeah, I correct. guess we, You can combine some of those gifts. Yeah. Or there are at least seven of them. Right. So that's really good. And then the tongues of fire proclaim, you've already mentioned that. That's what, the Pentecost. And who had those tongues of fire on their head? The uh, the followers of Jesus, not just the apostles, but if you read closely, it yep. was poured out upon uh, all of his followers, the disciples. Yes. The, the disciples, yeah. Not not just I wouldn't narrow it down to just the original apostles, not just the twelve, but uh, a number of his followers there. Exactly. Well said. All right, stanza four, please. Your light. To every thought impart, and shed your love in every heart. The weakness of our mortal state with deathless might invigorate. So the Holy Spirit is referred to as our light also. But who is the main light? Christ. Yes. Jesus is the light of the world. So yeah. when it says your light to every thought in part, that's already talking about creating faith in the heart of unbelievers to believe in Jesus Christ. Right. And shed your love in every heart. That's talking about sanctification, how we respond to the gospel that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins and we have no fear of eternal hell. 
All right. Stanza five, please. Drive far away our wily foe, and your abiding peace bestow. With you as our protecting guide, no evil can with us abide. In my sermon on nuns, I made the point that a lot of Christian language has been reinterpreted by nuns. So when they read, drive away a wily foe, they're not talking about Satan. They're talking about the sorrows in their life, maybe a bad marriage, bad family, bad employment, bad housing, their car isn't working. And then your abiding peace bestow, they're using the word peace to talk about peace in the world. Yeah, How right. Is God's view of wily foe and peace different? Well, the wily foe is, of course, Satan. He's the one. He's the primary enemy that we all have. He has his. He has his evil angels, his uh, demons, and and evil spirits that, you know, that also try to do his will and uh, and create havoc upon all of us. But uh, Satan is the the main enemy, and. Uh, Let's see, what was the second part of that question? About the, the whole abiding peace. What's oh, the yes. Peace? Yeah, it's the, uh, Jesus says, uh, the world cannot give the peace that I bestow. Uh, that is forgiveness of sin, life and salvation. The, uh, the comfort that comes from the gospel. Um, let's see, I'm trying to, what is, well, what is, what do we see? Remember the angels to the shepherds. Peace. Yes. And how about what were the first words of Jesus the night of the resurrection to the disciples? Peace be with you. Yes. Uh, he wanted them to know that he has reconciled us to the Father. And he's not Excellent. angry with us. He's not mad at us. Uh, although they, you know, they weren't nearby at the cross, they had scattered, but nevertheless, he wanted them to know that, that I have reconciled you to the father. Peace be with you. Excellent. Now you mentioned, uh, the last two verses on the Trinity. So, uh, read six to help us with that. Okay. Teach us to know the father, son, and you from both as three and one, that we, your name, may ever bless, and in our lives the truth confess. Now, we call that the doctrine of the Trinity, which a pastor cannot explain. Our job isn't to explain, but to reveal. Right. And I, I tell the people a lot of times on Sunday, you can't believe how many things that you believe that are absolutely ridiculous. The Trinity is one of them, that a man from Nazareth dies on a piece of wood and your sins are forgiven, or that he also took a few fish and some bread and fed 5,000 people, and yet nobody in the congregation denies that. That's because of the power of the Holy Spirit working within them that gives them faith to Absolutely. believe what Jesus did without an explanation. Yes. T 
Tom. We we gather every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, century after century for 2,000 years. And for what? A mystery. You know, we haven't seen Jesus with our eyes but we, of course, believe with all our hearts that we, we take and eat his body and blood with our lips. But it's, it is a mystery, and yet, and yet we cling to his promises, unshaking. When you say mystery, I hope you remember that that's the word used in the Greek to refer to the Lord's Supper. It's a mystery. Mysterious. What? What? word did Jerome translate that into in the Latin? Do you remember? I think sacramentum. Exactly. So that's why we call them the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Great mysteries cannot be explained with human reason, but absolutely true. Which leads us to our seventh verse. You want me to read it? Well, praise <laughs> praise we the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit with them one, and may the Son on us bestow the gifts that from the Spirit flow. Amen. You know, there's a lot of heresies in the church, especially the early church. One of them was that it was called modalism. What did that mean? Do you remember? Oh, let's see, modalism. Yeah, I remember us talking about that. Uh, that um, that uh, God was uh, uh, appeared to us in different modes. Excellent. Um, sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, some, but only one person. Right. Does the Bible agree with that? No, it's three persons. One God. One God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of the emblems that we use to signify that, the, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. And yet that emblem makes it, it, it clear that God is the Father, the Son is, God is the, the Son is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So... Even though it's come Holy Ghost, Creator, bless, it is an appropriate hymn for Trinity Sunday as we welcome the Trinity into our worship. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark Smith. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. Join us tomorrow for another study on Proverbs. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.